Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. us to, to, to go around to many, many churches right across Greater Manchester and into the wider context of the UK. I can't remember what the final tally was, but it's, I think it was more than 40 churches that we're visiting this morning. Um, I know that all sorts of people were being hit up to say, oh, could you go to this church? Could you go? And people were like, I've never spoken in a church before. You'll be fine. Go do it. And uh, when I found out that I was coming here, I was really delighted because I was like, wow, I've never, I've never had the chance to, to share at uh, Ivy uh, Disbury before. So it'd be great for me to be there. And also, because it's the home church, it's an easy one because I don't have to explain too much about the message trust to you guys because you, you know us well. You've journeyed with us. Andy Hawthorne, the founder of the message, is part of this church community. And at first I was like, this is great. They've given me the easy one to do. And then I stopped and I thought, hang on a second. Maybe they've given me this one because they don't trust me to do one where they don't know the message very well. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a vote of confidence, but there we go. Uh, hopefully, I'll share a little bit with you about what we're up to, what we've been doing. Just fill you in, give you a fresh opportunity to uh, stand with us in partnership. We so need your partnership prayerfully, uh, absolutely more than anything else, but financially as well. Uh, and perhaps even volunteer support if you have some time that you could give us. That would be amazing. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about myself as well so you can get to know me. But before we do any of those things and also get into the Word so that we can uh, leave this place knowing God a little bit better than when we came in. Uh, let's just turn our eyes to the screen. We've got a brand new video that talks a little bit about what the message is up to, and uh, I hope you find this encouraging. Who are we? We are gospel-centered art with one vision, mission. In schools, on stages, on the streets and in prisons. We are a movement of the unashamed, untamed, unconventional, unshaken truth that has one name, Jesus. We are kingdom community spout one word, Eden. Might catch us in an office building nine to five, then on the corner of your neighborhood five to nine. Cause this is more than comfortable living, it's 24 seven life online. It says, I will live for this cause rather than mine. We are broken people with a united cause An undivided love in a divided society Proclaiming Jesus is Lord More than performances for applause We are community to the fractured and the poor Where ex-drug dealers find freedom in Christ Where suicide runs to hide Where death turns to life Where the local thief becomes the urban hero Where 100 crimes become zero We are transformed lives, transforming lives we are God-shaped enterprise Where ex-prisoners and addicts find their home And become more than ever dreamed or hoped Cause in a world saying, I can't do it We say, yes you can You can take a stand Find who you're meant to be Discover your identity and the maker's plan Cause we won't sit back whilst the generation dies We advance through your city proclaiming real life we train up the next generation to effectively proclaim Christ. We are a movement of laid down lives, refusing to hide. We go beyond music and take people higher. We're not about fame or being admired. From the ones and twos to venues filled with thousands, we are unashamedly proclaiming Jesus. This is more than a job. We're born for this. We're called to this. To every tongue, race, face, and nation We are community transformation Equipping identity proclamation 
We are conveying the gospel with word and action, transforming lives, calling the next generation to rise. We are the message. So um, I've, been, uh, I've been in the message now for five years. Um, I'm an evangelist. I've been preaching the gospel, uh, traveling and preaching the gospel for 20 years next year. I know, right? Tw- thank you. That makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> 20 years uh, next year, and uh, I can see some of you are looking a bit confused right now. You're thinking, how, how old are you? Like, when did you start preaching the gospel? Yes, good nod. That was the right response. I don't want to see anybody shaking their head saying, no, you, you look as old as you say you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was the right response. So thank you for that. And uh, it's been the, the great joy of, of my life, really, to be at The Message for the last five years, to be surrounded by like-minded, like-spirited people who are just passionate to get this precious gift that we have, the gift of the gospel, which is the only hope that the world has. Don't get me wrong. You, you, just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean that you're not uh, any use to him. You, you can do all sorts of amazing practical things without even knowing that they represent his goodness. But the one thing that you can never do is help somebody to turn their experience of life into the thing that they were always supposed to be, which is a worshiper. That's what we're here for. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was a a series of questions and responses that were designed to help people understand their faith, and in particular with the shorter version, children, to just get a basic understanding of their faith. I actually think we need to bring some of that back, because I think a lot of people don't really know what their faith is a lot of the time these days. Uh, And the very first question and answer in uh, in this catechism is more than 100 questions and responses, is, uh, is what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the meaning of life? I'm sure you're familiar with this. And the simple answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. To glorify God, to know him and to enjoy him forever, to be worshipers. And if you worship anything other than Jesus Christ in this lifetime, you will be unfulfilled. You will be unstuck. You will be part of the problem instead of being part of the solution. You'll be a chaos maker instead of a peace bringer. But God, by his grace, has sent us Jesus Christ so that we, where we had chosen death for ourselves in rebellion by running away from God, can know life because Jesus has taken our place. And through his resurrection, we can share in his new life. What kind of life is that new life? It's true life. It's the life that you were created for. Every human being that has breath in their lungs exists, but only those who know Jesus Christ live. You weren't created for existence. You were created for life. Life is only found in Jesus Christ. This is the message and the hope of the gospel. We can come home. Even though we ran away, God's saying you can come home. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and know his life and his love and his hope and his fullness. Uh, And this is what we're trying to do through the message is take this message through all of the different ways that we do. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, sincerely, personally, from myself, but on behalf of of the entire message team. Thank you so much for standing with us, for praying for us, for giving financially, for coming along to events, for partnering with us in various events, whether it's higher tours where we're going and reaching young people in schools and at concerts, whether it's Eden uh, workers on estates, whether it's our MEC, our our enterprise, where we're trying to help ex-addicts and offenders get connected into a a new way of living that is Jesus-centered but has a practical outworking in terms of their living conditions and their work environment and their training and so on. Thank you. We literally cannot do it without you. But even if we could, why on earth would we want to? We're family. We should do it together. I am thankful that God, by his design, has made it impossible for us to do it without you. Because it shouldn't be you and us. It's us together as one. We are family. 
And sometimes I think we forget that, and sometimes we lose that. And whenever we lose the idea of us being family, and it starts to just become church as a social club, or church as a gathering, or church as something that we do, or a cultural identity within our nation, which is increasingly less so. And I think, by the way, God's doing us a favor there. I'll come back to that in a moment. we got to actually shake that off and say, no, it's none of those things. It's family. It's family. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that we have been given the right to be called children of God by what Jesus Christ has done. We have been adopted into the family of God. Not not an arbitrary family that has no identity. No, a family that has an absolute, clear-cut, definitive, knowable identity. We are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. You know what that means? That means that you inherit all of the blessings of the kingdom. And the primary blessing of the kingdom is God's identity. What's God's identity? He's good. He's love. He is peace. He is life. He is hope. He is light. You inherit that reality when you recognize that he is who you were created for. And we can have relationship with him as his sons and daughters. Therefore, amongst ourselves, brothers and sisters in Christ, getting to go and represent the kingdom of God in the community rather than some social club with a few nice values. No, that's not going to do any good because values have a limitation. And the limitation of a value is as well as it's lived out in your life. Now, we want to live them out well, but the kingdom of God has no limitation because the kingdom of God can move into an imperfect life and take you in your weakness and your frailty and your imperfection, and it it can turn you into something beyond your wildest dreams. It can actually turn you into the person that you were always supposed to be. You get to stop living as the fake version of you, the deficient version of you, and you get to come alive into the person that you were always created and supposed to be by his grace and his strength. The Bible says that God's power is perfected in your weakness. You know, I'm an evangelist, but I can't save anybody. Paul says in Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, that's good. But why, Paul? I'll tell you why. Because it is the power of God to bring salvation to all who believe. It's not the power of Ben. And it's a good thing that it's not the power of Ben. Because if it was the power of Ben, there'd be a lot of people not getting saved. Let me tell you, I'm driving into work in the morning, driving down the motorway, the M60. And we know what the M60 can be like in terms of wrestling with our faith, right? So we're driving down the M60 and someone cuts me up on the motorway. And I'm like, oh, good for you. You might get where you're wanting to go a little bit quicker, but where you're going is hell. Because I'm not saving you now. Because the power of salvation belongs to me. No salvation for you, my friend. Because I'm a frail and broken human being and I need God to show me what grace is. Fortunately, he's consistent and God will withhold salvation from no one who comes with a sincere heart and says, God, I need you and we all need God. Unfortunately, he doesn't hide himself from us. He doesn't withhold his love. He is with us. And he simply says, here is the gospel. You decide. Will you make me Lord's? which is what you are always supposed to do, or will you choose something else? That's what we're trying to outwork through the message, and we're just trying to be faithful to what God's asked us to do. And we get opportunities to go into some environments that maybe you don't. You have friends, family, some of you are involved in other ministry opportunities. Praise God for every opportunity that comes your way, and I pray that out of a life that is given to him in submission, that is empowered by him, even in your weakness, which is awesome, that is given opportunity in the day-to-day. I said I'd come back to the fact I think God is giving us an opportunity in the here and the now. I actually kind of think it's good that we've gone post-Christian as a culture. You know why? Because I don't think we were ever really Christian as a culture in the first place. It was a label that allowed us to get comfortable with the fact that a lot of people go to church on a Sunday. God doesn't care how many people go to church on a Sunday. He cares about your faith. 
He cares about what does it look like to be family together in every moment of every day, coming together for sure. How cool is it to think that right now across the world, there are millions, billions in fact, of people who are saying, Jesus Christ, you are Lord, and we come together as a family. But it has to be that. It can't be a social club. It can't just be something that we do. It has to be who we are. It's our identity that Christ has won for us. And so God gives us these opportunities culturally, societally. Look, I don't know whether God wanted Brexit to happen or not, but I know that the outcome of what's happening politically with Brexit is that our country is a little bit confused and messed up right now. You know what I say? Okay, let's go use that to our advantage. No, better yet, let's use it to the kingdom's advantage. Let's go and actually say, are you uncertain about some stuff? Like, it's kind of tough right now, huh? There's some difficult things going on. Well, let me show you where I find my certainty because it's not in politics. Not that I'm disinterested in politics. Not that I don't want to cast my vote if I get it. Not that I won't want to think seriously about what I'm going to do politically to bring something positive to bear. It's important that we think these things through. But my hope is not in politics. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And with Jesus Christ at the center of who I am and at the center of the church, let me tell you, we can stop moaning and complaining about the problems that are going on in our culture and instead we can sing joyfully about the consistency and the goodness of God and go and be part of the solution instead of contributing to being part of the problem. We get to decide. No one decides that for you. You get to decide. And we can go and be part of the solution. With Christ at the center, that's what we're trying to do at The Message. And we get some opportunities that maybe you guys don't get. We get the opportunity to go into prison and hang out with people who've done things that would make your skin crawl. Terrible things. That society, and I understand why, society looks at them and they write them off and say, you're no good to anything. We should reject you and get rid of you and put you away and, and just leave you there to rot. There's some people that would, I'm sure, like to have the death penalty for certain things. That we could just remove people from the, from, from the situation and then we don't have to worry about those people being a cancer or a plague or an issue over our lives anymore. That's not the way the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks that there is hope for all people because of what Jesus Christ has done. And everybody, everybody is a potential child of God, which means everybody is a potential brother and sister for us to reach out to. My friend Mark, he often says evangelistically, imagine if, if someone was to run in right now and to say, hey, my, my, are you, he, my, you guys know Mark Ritchie? He's an evangelist. He might have come and preached here before. I'm not sure, but he talks about it like this. He says, someone comes in and uh, they run in at the back and they're like, hey, my son is lost. I need your help. I need your help to find my son. Please, will you help me find him? Now, what would our response be in that moment? We would stop. I mean, I would stop preaching for a start and you, and you guys would stop listening to me and he would have our attention. And I can guarantee you if he was in tears and he was panicking and he was worried, we would all of us fix our attention on him. And he said, will you please help me go into the Disbury and help me to look for him and help me to find him? What would we do? We, we would get up out of our seats. We would abandon what we're doing here right now, even though this is a good thing. We would abandon what we're doing right now and as many of us as possible would head out there to try and find his son. And imagine if you, imagine if you were the one as we went out there, maybe down by the library or something, you saw this little child lost and afraid because he got separated from his father. You were the one that found them and you were able to say, hey, kid, it's okay. You don't need to be afraid. I know where your dad is. I know where he is. Let me take you to him. Can you imagine the joy of finding that child and being the one who actually gets to lead that child by their hand back to their father? This is what God is asking us to do. He's saying, my children are lost. Your brothers and sisters are lost. Please, will you go and find them? Because who else will go if not their own siblings? 
Who else will go if not the very people that I have already won to myself? God's asking us to go. And at the message, we've had so many beautiful privileges to, to go into high schools. Last year, we saw more than 100,000 young people in high schools. Next year, we're hoping to see 200,000 using our creative mission teams to, to do lessons and share the gospel in school, which we can still do in this country. Amazing. Might not always be that way, so let's use the opportunity now. I don't know if you guys get the chance to go into schools and talk to kids about Jesus, but I do, and our teams do, and we can go and be faithful and share with them. Same with prisons. You might not get the opportunity to go into a prison and share with, with inmates about the hope that they need. And let me tell you, they don't need a lot of convincing because they know they need something. The most winsome environment I've ever been into is, is in prisons. I, did, I preached in four prisons in the Philippines last year. And every single prison I went into, every single person, four, 300, 400, 500 inmates, every single one stood to receive the gospel each time. And what happened was by the fourth time, you know what I was doing? I was putting in so many clauses about only stand if this, 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 because I thought I was making it too easy for them. And I didn't want them to just stand. I wanted them to receive Christ. So I would put in more and more clauses. And by the final one, I'm like, oh man, let me, I had about 10 different clauses that I'd put in. Yet still all of them were standing. And let me tell you, it's got nothing to do with whether I can preach well or not. It's because they know as they hear the plain message that they need Jesus. And so as we have opportunities to share these messages out in the world, people hear them and they, by God's grace, get to decide what they do as their heart comes alive by His power. We have our um, Eden Projects, which I know you guys know about moving people into challenging neighborhoods and just trying to be uh, salt and light in those environments. Not, not doing projects in estates, but being part of the estate, being family within the community. And we, we have launched more than 70 of those over the years. I think there's about 50 active ones currently going across the UK and beyond, as we now have hubs in uh, starting, this whole thing starting in Manchester, you know, 30 years ago, and now in South Africa and Germany and uh, Canada and, and bubbling up all over the place. And let me tell you this, we have not gone looking for those opportunities. Those opportunities have come our way. Why does that happen? Honestly, and I think this is an encouragement for all of us. When you simply just say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm not looking for a platform. I'm not looking to claim territory for myself. I just want to be faithful to what you've asked me to do. You know what God does? He increases your sphere for, for his glory because he knows you can trust you with it. When you elevate yourself to a platform, you have to keep yourself there. That's no good. You'll spend all of your time wrestling with your opportunity. But when God takes you to where he wants you to be by his grace, you can just ease into the opportunity and allow God to do what he wants to do through you. And his power is perfected in our weakness. It's good that we can't do it without him because what kind of a God would he be if we didn't need him? We need it. And God's saying there is no person here who is disqualified from serving and sharing the love of God into the world. And through the message, we try to use all these different endeavors. Um, uh, Christ-centered enterprise is a big thing for us, uh, working alongside uh, prisoners who've come out or addicts who are getting clean and providing them with job training and opportunities. Like my mate Joe, who was a heroin addict and uh, known all sorts of devastation in his life, losing his parents in tragic circumstances at different times, and in and out of prison, a mess, basically, a mess, M more likely to bring death to society than life to it. He's now our head chef at the message. He's not a, he's not a trainee with us anymore. He's full-time employed, but even better than being a head chef, he's a preacher. He goes out and preaches life. He brings life now where he once brought death. Let me tell you, this is not because the message is a great organization. It's because God is a great yes. God. 
And God can bring transformation to any life. I want to share from the Word for, for a few minutes, but before I, I, I do and, and encourage us in, in a couple of things, I just want to tell you that there is a way you can stand with us today. Please come talk to me at the end. I'll be at the back on the stand. We'd love to have you sign up so you get our prayer updates and you can pray with us. That, that's not me being Christian and saying that it's the best way that you can support. It is the best way you can support us. Prayerfully, moving in the power of the Spirit that God will work through what we're up to is, is really what we need. But also you can stand with us financially. The reason why I'm slightly clunkily holding this bag is because when people do stand with us financially, we love to give them gifts. And uh, we'd love if you stand with us financially for any regular donation amount this month. We cannot do it without the support of the local church helping us to, to keep the lights on and keep our missionaries out and about. We want to give you this book here, Being the Message, which is some lessons that we've learned over 25 years of ministry together. Uh, this is one of our bands, Bright Line. We'd love to give you this CD. If you don't like the music, you can give it to a, a young person that does like the music. Um, uh, this book here, Grief and Grace, I, uh, I, I appreciate that you guys have been experiencing your own uh, heartbreak and difficulty uh, recently with, uh, with the passing of Connor. And uh, our Message South Africa director, uh, faced a similar situation two years ago when his wife, Laura, died very suddenly in her uh, late 30s, uh, very quickly of a brain aneurysm. And this is his story of how that shock and that grief was overwhelming, and yet by God's grace, uh, a beautiful story has been written the other side of it. There is hope, even in our most difficult, challenging circumstances. Again, that is not a Christian greeting card platitude that just makes us feel better about some of the challenges we face. It's truth. There is hope because of who Jesus Christ is. This is a beautiful book that will tell you more about that. Um, we also have this book, Here I Am, which is teaching from the book of Isaiah that Andy wrote. Lots of great stories in there about the message that will encourage you. Uh, it's about the early days of the message. Another book right here. But I rattle through those Andy books because they're mediocre. But this right here is the best. Uh, don't, don't tell him I said that. Um, this is the, uh, they're very good. I promise. Uh, this is the, the real beauty in there. This is a USB stick in here that has a hundred uh, talks on it from the message where we've had guest speakers come, some of the best speakers from around the world over the last 10 years or so, who've come and shared with us as a staff team. You can't get that anywhere else. You literally can't buy it. Uh, and we want to share the wisdom that's been given to us with you guys as a, uh, as, a, uh, uh, as a church and as a family and as a community. And also, I last year preached um, the Bible in 24 hours. I did all 27 books of the New Testament in 24 hours. Uh, it, was, it was hard work. Uh, we did it as a fundraiser, and I have all of those talks, and I'd love to give all of those to you um, as well. So please do come see me at the end. We only have a few minutes together to dig in the Word, and I want to honor the time um, a little bit better than I did in the, in the last session. So what I really wanted to do was just reflect. Um, I'm going to talk differently than what I did last time in, in the morning session. I don't, does this get recorded? Does this get recorded? Yeah? So I'm going to do a slightly different talk to the one that I did this morning from, from the Word. It's going to be a little bit shorter, a little bit easier to digest because we've only got a short amount of time left together. Uh, if you want to hear the other one, then maybe you can get hold of... Oh, it wasn't recorded? It wasn't recorded. So if you want to hear the other one, you have to ask the Lord to give you divine revelation of it. Um, but, uh, but I feel like I want to share this, this with you instead from Mark chapter 4 and... Um, as we move to the end, we see this famous story in verse 35 of Jesus calming the storm. So just open the word with me, and uh, we'll rattle through this story. And I just want to leave you with something actually pretty simple, because um, I've already preached a bunch of stuff about the gospel. Uh, but I think this will help us as we try to think about how we take it confidently and getting away from some of the fear that can overwhelm us in the day to day. So Mark 4:35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus, 
Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Life at times can feel like a storm, can't it? It can feel like we're being tossed around a little bit. Oh, for sure. In the world, in our daily context, in our family life, in our work life, our school life, uni life, whatever it might be, it can throw up its fair share of storm. But here the disciples are just amongst themselves and they experience a storm. Make no mistake about it, even when we're together as Christian brothers and sisters, it's not always all happy, shiny rainbows and and fun times. Even amongst ourselves as believers, there can be storms. Sometimes because of circumstances in our control where we just reveal ourselves to be less than holy and we bring something of our old chaotic ways into our new peaceful community, and it causes problems, doesn't it? We do that because we're not perfect yet. God is working on us. That's why we need a lot of grace in our churches. But also there can be situations that are outside of our control. You've faced one just recently with Connor's passing. Circumstances that seem to bring a rockiness and a storm and a heartbreak and a challenge and a pain. And we can cry out to God and we can say, God, why is this storm happening? Where are you in this storm? Jesus, don't you care that I'm being overwhelmed? That's the situation that the disciples find themselves in. And you can believe, by the way, that this was a serious situation. One third of Jesus' disciples were experienced fishermen. And the rest of them would have been more than used to being out on the water uh, and involved in seafaring. The Jewish people at this time were a little bit superstitious in some ways. They would have been slightly concerned about what lay at the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee. And as the storm comes, I suspect two things were happening. One was that the boat was being rocked. The waves were coming strong enough that it was concerning them that they would sink. But the other thing that was likely happening is that they were being pushed further and further and further into the deepest part of the sea, which they would have avoided because there was this superstition and concern that they didn't really know what lay at the depths and there was an association with evil in the unknown whatever it was they were genuinely and sincerely concerned this is not trivial the first thing I want to say to you is this my job as a preacher is not to stand up here and say God is good you can trust him in a way that trivializes the genuine situations and dangers that you face life is a challenge The things that we experience are genuine, they are authentically challenging, and they need to be treated with soberness and seriousness. I don't desire to trivialize any situation that you go through that causes you pain and heartbreak and difficulty. However, although I want to take it seriously, I don't want to abandon us to futility. I don't want to abandon us that the only outcome is despair, because there is hope. The disciples, they run to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus! Wake up! How could you sleep during this? Don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to drown? You know, I thought about this story a lot over the years. How is it possible that Jesus could be sleeping through such a storm that would freak out these tried and tested disciples? It really is for me only three outcomes. 
First one is this, that Jesus was genuinely just that tired. He'd been teaching the crowds. He'd given out so much of himself that he's just that tired that he could sleep through. So anybody here like able to just sleep through? You know, I talk to my friends who have kids and they're like, I used to think I could sleep through anything, but apparently I can't. And, uh, you know, so like I'm a heavy sleeper. I can sleep through most things, but there's a limit for me. Like eventually I'm going to get woken up. Do we really believe that Jesus could just sleep because he's tired? Also, what does that suggest about Jesus allowing the tiredness and frailty of his humanity to overcome the needs of his people? That doesn't sound right to me. That doesn't ring true with what I read in Scripture. So I think, is it possible that he was tired? Yes. Tired enough just to sleep through a storm because he was that tired? No, it doesn't ring true. Second thing is this. Was he testing the disciples? Is that what it was? Did he have one eye open seeing how they would react to this situation? Is that what was going on? Look, God does put us through tests. He never tempts. James tells us that. That's the devil's playground, tempting. There is no temptation in God. When the devil tempts you, you know what he wants to happen? He wants you to fail every single time. Temptation equals failure. God tests. And when God tests, you know what he hopes for? Success. Every time with God, a testing is looking for success. Not to teach him something or to refine you in a way that he is yet to discover. No, he already knows what's going to happen. God puts us through testing because he knows that it's the best way for us to learn and grow in things that we otherwise could not have done. It's out of his wisdom, not ours, and we have to trust. So is it possible that Jesus is testing? Yeah, it's possible, but it seems like a cruel test. And it seems like a test that they are guaranteed to fail. It doesn't ring true with how I see Jesus interacting with his disciples the rest of the time. No, I don't think it's testing. So it leaves me only with the third thing, which is this, trust. Is Jesus able to sleep through the storm, partly because he's tired, but ultimately because he's trusting? Jesus knows that the Father won't let anything bad happen to him at this time. He trusts God completely, and therefore he is able to have rest. He is able to have peace, even in the rockiest storm. It doesn't mean that he's not interested in the fears and the, the, the uh, despair of his disciples. He's absolutely interested. He just expects them to exhibit the same trust that he exhibits, which is why when they wake him, he can exhibit some level of surprise. Why would you wake me? Text doesn't say that he says that, but I think it's a fair assumption that he would, why have you woken me? He walks to the front of the boat and he rebukes, that word is very specific, rebukes, tells off, chastises the wind and the waves, be still, calm, or to put it another way, shalom, peace, peace, and immediately the wind and the waves obey him, and then he turns to his disciples and he says this, why are you afraid, why are you afraid, where is your faith, I've heard this passage preached on a number of times, and I've, I've heard a fallacy in the preaching a number of times. And the fallacy is this, that when Jesus turns to his disciples, having rebuked the wind and the waves, he turns to his disciples and he rebukes them. But you know why that's a fallacy? Because that's not what the Bible says. How often do we say that the Bible says something that it doesn't actually say? In no version or account of this story in the Greek or our accurate translations does Jesus rebuke his disciples. You know what he does? He simply asks them a question. And the reason why I want to make that clear today is because I think that there's a problem, and the problem is this. We end up feeling guilty and ashamed and disempowered by the situations that come our way that are rocky. And not only do they rock our circumstance, but they rock our faith to a point where we feel that we're then going to struggle to come back to Jesus. And Jesus is not turning to you in the storm when you've gone, Jesus, I need you! 
I need you because guess what? That's the exact response that you should have in every situation. God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. And Jesus doesn't then turn around to you and say, you stupid idiot. Where's your faith? You're useless to me. You're no good to me if you don't have any faith. How could I use a waste of space like you who gets afraid and rocked by the smallest little storm? We hear it as rebuke, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a very simple and plain and beautiful reality that Jesus, as he meets us in our need and calms storms, doesn't always look the way that we thought that it would look like. Do you think that when the disciples said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown, that they thought that he would literally walk to the front of the boat and speak to nature and it would stop? Do you think they thought that? No. They didn't think that. How do I know that? Because when he does it, they're like, oh, this guy's a bit crazy. He's got some power. They're surprised by what he does. They don't know what they wanted him to do. They just know that they wanted him to do something. Jesus will sometimes surprise us in how he works. It won't always look how we want. Sometimes it will look way better than we hoped for. Sometimes it will look confusing to us. And we were like, but God, I wanted you to do it like that. Why haven't you done it like that? And Jesus is like, trust me, the way I do it is the right way. It won't always make you comfortable. It won't always fix the problem in the way you wanted it to, but it's the right way because it's going to reveal my power. And ultimately, it's about glorifying me. But then he doesn't turn to you as he, as he works with you, as he journeys with you to bring hope in the situation. He doesn't then look at you and say, oh, you idiot for not having faith in me. He simply looks at you and in love and in desire that you would move from where you are today to a little bit closer to where you can be tomorrow, more like him. He simply says, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? In other words, he says, you know, you don't have to live like that anymore. There's a different way. It's the way of hope. If we want to bring hope to our communities, we have to start by dwelling in the hope that God has for us. Circumstances will come our way that will take us to our limit. God does not resent you looking at him and saying, I need you. But he simply says, good, you do need me. Now trust me and see what I can do. If we want to take that hope into the world and it's the only hope the world has, we've got to carry it ourselves. I want to encourage you to close your eyes and just reflect for a moment. Invite the band back up as well. I don't know exactly what Jesus said when he spoke to the wind and the waves. Our Bible's translated as calm, be still. But it wouldn't surprise me if God literally, if Jesus literally spoke shalom to the wind and the waves, if that was the word, which literally means peace. But even beyond peace, it means, look, nothing is broken. Nothing is missing. Everything's as it should be. There is balance, wholeness. It's a beautiful word that summarizes the victory that Christ has won for us on the cross. Oh, but Ben, this world doesn't look like nothing is missing. This world doesn't look like nothing is broken. It still looks fractured. Well, you know what? Christ has made it possible for this world to be in perfect balance. The question is, will we bring that kingdom reality to bear in this earth now, submitting to God that his hope could work through us, knowing that one day he will bring everything into perfection? In the meantime, God's saying, by all means, cry out to me because you need me. 
But as you cry out, be prepared to trust. Because if you cry out to me without a willingness to trust me at the end of it, what are you really crying out for? Really what God is saying is, let me be God. Let me be God. Let me be Lord. Father, in this moment, I just pray that you will be speaking and ministering to hearts and minds in this place and speaking, healing. In this time, I wonder, is there anybody here who feels that they've just recently been struggling a bit with fear, been struggling a little bit with um, hopelessness, been struggling with confusion over why God would allow things to happen and not work in the ways that they think that he should work? Is there confusion? Is there fear? Does it feel more like chaos than peace in your walk at the moment? If that's you, I just want to ask you to raise your hand and I would love to just pray for you and encourage you, bless you, see you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. I see you. Father God, to my precious brothers and sisters who have uh, raised their hands to say, yeah, some of those things sound sound right and true for my walk right now. God, I pray shalom. I pray peace. I pray that we would recognize afresh there is absolutely no problem with us coming saying, Lord, do you care about us? We need you. But if the climax of that appeal is anything other than trust, why did we even bother asking in the first place? Help us to trust. God is saying to you this morning, as difficult and as challenging as your circumstances may be, and they are real, they are real, but as difficult and as challenging as your circumstances may be, what if the ultimate problem is not actually circumstance itself? but perspective not to trivialize the circumstance but to say that circumstance is here with Christ's power and perspective that circumstance doesn't define who you are doesn't define the life that you live doesn't define your destiny it is the reality of the life that we live day by day but God is working a new story and there is hope and you can trust him because he is with you he has not abandoned you to the storm father would you bring peace would you bring fresh assurance of your goodness a fresh hunger for your word in which we can find and stand tall on your promises And as we receive these things for ourselves, would we go into our communities, our opportunities, and would we declare shalom over the storms that the world is facing so they can know the same hope that we know. By your power, we pray these things, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.